John 14, picking up in verse 16. Jesus is speaking. He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. You know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Skip down to verse 25. But these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Chapter 15. Verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. And you will testify also, because you have been with Me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For He will take of Mine and will disclose to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said, He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. Father, Lord Jesus, Spirit of the living God, these words are a tremendous comfort to my heart and soul. What You teach us here, Lord Jesus, is among all Your words so remarkable and such a blessing that we would be fools not to pause and think through what You've said. We thank You, Lord, that You you taught these things. And not only taught, but revealed them to us. And we pray now Your Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Helper, would come and would be our Teacher. And would disclose the things of the Father to us. And will bring glory to you, Lord Jesus, in us. And help us to hear, Lord, what the Spirit is saying to the fellowship this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving or brooding over the surface of the waters. 
before day one of creation, the Holy Spirit is presented as none other than God Himself. The Spirit belonging to God, God's Spirit, in the same way that my Spirit is Rick's Spirit, to say God's Spirit is to say that the Holy Spirit is God, is the Lord. And so at the very beginning, before we even hear about creation, before things get underway in this world, we see God the Father, we see God the Spirit. And John reveals to us in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we also know God the Son was there. So the Holy Spirit is God. And that's not one man's opinion, that is sound biblical doctrine. His chosen people, Israel, understood this. Their scriptures taught it. Their experience proved it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, was seen upon His servants, prophets, priests, judges, kings, even craftsmen on occasion. Receive the Spirit of the Lord to complete their work, as with the tabernacle. But a couple of things to know that the Jewish people, again, would understand by their scriptures, by their experience about the Holy Spirit. While the Spirit of the Lord came upon these individuals, He didn't always abide within them. He would come upon them, empower them for a task or a job or a prophecy. But He wouldn't necessarily remain. He did with a few but not with all. In fact, a good way to think about this is that permanent residency was unusual in the days of the Jewish people before Jesus came. Permanent residency was unusual. Sometimes the Lord even gave and then removed His Spirit, as we know with the first king of Israel, Saul, 1 Samuel 16, 14. And David comes along, and he loved the Lord so much that at the height of his worst sin, of his adultery with Bathsheba, as he was discovered, as it was found out, as he began to pray and to write in Psalm 51, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You realize that in that moment for David, the worst possible thought was losing the Spirit of the Lord, who had until that time, up till that time, and by the way, continued to be dwelling within him. But permanent residency was unusual in the days of Israel. Pervasive residency was unprecedented. Did not happen. The Lord never gave His Spirit wholesale to the people of Israel. Not once. Although He promised He would. But He hadn't. He didn't. Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 29. The prophet says, I will not hide my face from them any longer, the Lord speaking. For I will have poured out my Spirit on the house of Israel. He promises a day would come when he would pour his spirit out on all of his people collectively together. They would all receive the outpouring of his spirit. But that's a day that has not yet happened, not for Israel as a nation, not for the whole of Israel as a people. Yes, the Lord did pour out his spirit on a people. Yes, the Lord does do so, beginning with Pentecost. And yes, they were all Jews there at Pentecost. Well, as far as we know, primarily all Jews. The first twelve to receive the Holy Spirit were all the apostles, Jewish men. But even in that moment, He didn't pour out His Spirit on Israel proper. He poured out His Spirit on mankind, those who would receive. 
And from that day forward, we know His Spirit was poured out on the church as prophesied by Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And recounted by Peter, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And so the outpouring of His Spirit on a people became what we know of as the church. Understand that part of the definition of the called out, of the ecclesia in the Greek, of the church, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. No presence of the Holy Spirit, no church. The church only exists as a body of believers because the Holy Spirit is present. If the Holy Spirit is present, all you have is a social gathering. It's the presence of the Spirit that makes a fellowship of believers into the church. But we're talking about Israel right now. And remember, in Israel, permanent residency and pervasive residency were two things that just... Permanent was unusual and pervasive was unprecedented. Didn't even happen. But they knew this about the Holy Spirit. Understood by their own scriptures. And we've seen these things over the years here at the bridge. The Holy Spirit must first abide in and upon Messiah before He would be poured out on all the people of Israel. Messiah first. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, why this background? Why is this important? Because John was a Jew. And remember, as we are studying through John's Gospel account, John is a Jew with a Jewish mentality with Jewish thinking, with a Jewish mindset, writing a Jewish gospel about a Jewish Savior, but to a Greek people. His audience would primarily be Gentiles. Many of these would learn about the Holy Spirit of the living God for the first time in reading John's gospel account. And I think that would influence the thinking of John as he's writing, as he's giving explanation. And we need to know that the teaching about the Holy Spirit throughout the Gospel of John is absolutely vital teaching. See, here's how it works. Very simply, we come to know God through Jesus. But we come to know Jesus by the revelation of His Spirit. Let me say that again. We come to know God through Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 17, 18, right in there, uh, it says that no one has seen God, but the Son of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So we come to know God through Jesus, but we only come to know Jesus. And I'm not talking head knowledge. I'm talking relationship. We only come to know Jesus in a genuine relationship by the revelation of His Spirit. So valuable, so significant, so critical is this teaching that it's a marvel, it's a wonder that more time isn't spent with it in the church today. Here's the challenge that I face this morning. Actually, it's a challenge I face every single time I sit down to teach, whether it's a few people or a room full. For all of the instruction, there must be inspiration. For all of the education, there must be revelation. And only the Spirit of the Lord can bring that. I can't. I know that. 
I know that no amount of my preparation and no amount of my personal study and no amount of, of my trying to explain things makes any difference whatsoever. It is the Spirit of the Lord who brings revelation and inspiration into your heart. We need Him. How do you know that, Rick? Well, because there are people who read the Bible and just don't get it. They'll listen to a sermon and be like, oh, you know, well, that guy was kind of boring. Or, well, that guy was exciting this morning. Oh, he's charismatic. And totally miss what's really going on. Why? Because they haven't received the revelation by the Holy Spirit. And without the Spirit, we don't. And I would encourage you, if you come in here and out of here week after week, kind of with that attitude as you walk out, maybe it's a good time to say, Lord, I really need your Spirit, because right now I'm not getting it. The Spirit brings revelation. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to continue instruction, and my best to bring education, but over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to sit here in John 14, 15, and 16. We're going to unpack what we've learned and what Jesus now teaches about His Spirit. If we knew nothing of the Spirit of God and we were handed a copy of the scroll of the Gospel of John, we would discover our first insight about Him, about the Holy Spirit, in a place called Bethabara. Bethany beyond Jordan. Turn in your Bibles back to John chapter 1. And let's take a look at some of the revealing moments with the Holy Spirit leading up to Jesus' teaching on the night of His betrayal. John chapter 1, verse 29. Now again, we're at Bethany beyond Jordan. Beth Abar, it means house of passage. It is that place where the Israelites passed or crossed over the Jordan to come into the promised land. It's where John the Baptist did his baptizing. Ultimately, Jesus and his apostles would be there baptizing as well. It's somewhere close to where we do our baptisms now when we go to Israel. Beth Abara. And in verse 29, it says, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After him, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, that is, as Messiah, because Jesus was John's cousin. I did not recognize him, he says, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now watch this. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained upon him. He remained upon him. Immediately we learn two things about the Holy Spirit right here. First of all, he's not an it. He's not an it. He's a he. He rested upon him. The Spirit rested upon Jesus. But secondly, and this is fascinating, and I don't know why we didn't spend more time on it when we first came into the Gospel of John several months ago. The first time we see, we have a visual representation of the Holy Spirit. First time in history, He's a dove. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. What did it look like? I wasn't there. All I know is John the Baptist testified saying, I saw the Spirit come upon him as a dove, like a dove, in the form of a dove. I don't know if he came flapping out of the sky and landed on Jesus. Or if it was more of a a, a spiritual representation. I don't know. All I know is that we are told, specifically, he took the form of a dove. 
That's amazing. He doesn't come down as a falcon. As an eagle, as a hawk, not a seahawk. Why not? Because if he did, he would have landed there and just gone, yeah. Yeah. Lord, what do you think about this? Yeah. Listen, here's the point. He didn't come as a bird of prey. He came as a bird of peace. First time we see the Spirit of the Lord. He doesn't come on the attack. He comes representing peace. A dove. First mention of a dove in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 8. So I want you to keep your finger in John chapter 1 and go all the way back to Genesis chapter 8. Be careful, you may sprain a finger this morning. Just going to warn you ahead of time. But we're going to let our fingers do the walking here. Genesis chapter 8, verse 6. When the ark rested on Mount Ararat, we're told in verse 6 that it came about at the end of 40 days. And I'm moving quickly because I figure Genesis is not a hard book to find. At the end of 40 days, that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. In other words, it never came back. Noah sends out a raven, and it's flying about, picking and scavenging the floating, bloating carcasses in the water. That's what a raven would do. But it never returns to Noah. Verse 8. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found, note this, no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of the earth. Well, then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days. Then again, he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove. But she did not return to him again. Wise old Noah knew what he was doing. He knew the dove would keep coming back and coming back until she found a place of rest. A place of peace. Doves don't like clutter and clamor. Pigeons are great with it. You know, uh, seagulls. They truly enjoy lots of noise and cars as long as there are french fries around. You know, mine? 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 But doves... Doves are not fans of noisy places. Well, we see them in the cities. Yeah, it's a corrupt world. But normally, doves seek out restful places. We had a dove that that sat behind our house uh, in Anaheim, California. In the bushes. And, and behind the wall of our backyard was another yard and a house, and beyond that was uh, Lincoln Avenue. Noisy, constant noise. And that dove would stay there in the bushes, and I would hear it every morning. I loved the sound. It was so peaceful. It was the only place this poor little dove could find that was quiet. Doves like rest. Noah understands this. No wonder the Spirit took the form of a dove resting upon Jesus. The Spirit representing peace rested on the one who is our peace. 
the peaceful place on earth, the shoulder of Jesus, the dove, he searches and he keeps coming back. And then he extends the olive branch of peace until he finds a heart that desires peace and then he rests there. And so the Holy Spirit shows up back to John chapter 1. I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. He remained upon him. Verse 33. John the Baptist says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who, listen, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, John didn't recognize Him because he didn't know his cousin was Messiah. He didn't recognize... Jesus was so normal, so average, so, you know, all Israelite. I mean, He was just like everybody else. That John didn't really know until the dove came. And that was the moment of recognition for John the Baptist And he says he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Please don't hear that in terms of sectarian tradition. One of the problems we have when we study about the Holy Spirit, when we think about the Holy Spirit, is we bring lots of baggage with us. Some of it is heavy stuff. That we have been taught down through the years, this is what you are to know about the Holy Spirit. And whatever your tradition, those bags look different. There are some who believe that the Holy Spirit is to be kept in the bag, never let out. There are others who are, you know, like someone in the middle of an airport, bags open, clothes everywhere. I mean, you know, whoa, wait a minute. Set aside the baggage of your tradition. For a moment. I'm not asking you to leave it entirely. Set it aside. Don't be influenced by what you think you know. Hear what John the Baptist just said as spoken. He says, Jesus is the one who immerses in the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want that? All notions of what that means aside, who doesn't want immersion in the Holy Spirit? Who doesn't want to be completely soaked in the Lord? That's what he said. The baptism of the Holy Spirit? Immersion in absolute intimacy with God's abiding presence? Why not? Now, I'm not asking anybody to do anything. I'm just giving instruction and education. Let the Spirit bring inspiration and revelation. That's His job, not mine. But do you want, answering honestly, do you want to be soaked in the Spirit of God? Immersed in the inspiration and intimacy of Jesus Christ. I cannot imagine a better thing. But let's head back west to Jerusalem. We were out at Bethabara. Now let's go to Jerusalem, John chapter 3. The next time we hear about this Holy Spirit is during a covert evening meeting between Jesus and a curious leader of the Jews, Nicodemus. Right? Nick at night. Verse 5. John 3, 5. Jesus answered. He says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. Get the the here, okay? This is intentional in the language of Jesus. He who was born of the spirit is spirit. This is not talking about some vague, esoteric, generic spiritual birth. It is someone who is born of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Do not be amazed, he says, verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Question, what comes first? Birth or baptism? In life? Yeah, birth. I mean, you can't really baptize, you know, a pre-born child. That would be weird. You'd have to have like, I don't know, a, a degree, a medical degree to figure that one out. Birth comes first. To be born of the Spirit. And then baptism by the Spirit. Here's the thing. It's not just that a person can be born of the Spirit, but Jesus says you must be born of the Spirit or you will not enter the kingdom of God. Suddenly the Spirit takes on a much greater significance and I realize, wow, this is more than just soaking, this is salvation. I need this Spirit. But as a Gentile outsider, we might wonder, is this only for Israel? John answers that. Jesus does in the very next chapter. So we travel north, chapter 4, to the town of Sychar in Samaria. John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman there, an outsider, an outcast. We did a study on this. You can go back and and think that through. But, But here, Jesus answers and says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well springing up to eternal life. Now you might say, okay, where's the Spirit there? We'll get there. We don't know. He doesn't directly tie living water to the Spirit, not just yet. But we know from later study, we know from further on in the Gospel of John, he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. But again, we'll get there. Go to the end of the conversation, verse 23. Jesus says, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is Spirit. God is Spirit, or the Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that if God is in fact Spirit, we need to be in the Spirit to worship Him at all. That if we don't worship in spirit, we're not really worshiping God. Now, I've been there. I've worshipped in spirit, and I have worshipped out of spirit. I've worshipped out of spirit when we were in the middle of singing holy, 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 and a horse walked into the barn. Took me out of spirit. Right there, my focus was lost, my focus was gone. I was in the moment going, somebody stop the horse! I've worshipped in spirit and out of spirit on any given Sunday. Perhaps you have too. You're there. You are with the Lord. I'm not talking about an emotional experience, but you are tracking. You are experiencing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something happens around you. And look, a shiny dime. (laughs) And you're drawn out. 
If we are to worship God, we are to worship Him in spirit. We can't worship Him any other way. Go further north. Go up to Galilee, to Capernaum in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now, Jesus has just fed a multitude of people in the same way they had been fed in the wilderness. Jesus now does it. He brings bread, as they would say, like bread from heaven. It just keeps multiplying and multiplying and they have the fish and they have the loaves and they're eating eating, and they're filled and they're thrilled and then Jesus leaves and the next day He starts to explain to them, look, that's a parable really, what just happened. A picture of, of me. I am the bread of life. He says, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood and people are like, I'm done. That's too far. And they begin to leave and wander away. Look at John 6, verse 63. Jesus says, speaking to the disciples who are standing there, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. What do you mean, Jesus? I mean, you can have all the bread and fish you want. It's not going to get you anywhere until you understand the Spirit's work in all of this. The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are spirit and are life. Now remember, in the beginning, as we started this study, what was the spirit doing? Moving over the face of the deep. And then God spoke and life. Because the spirit's life. And the words of the Spirit, the words of Jesus are Spirit and life. And you might say, well, wait, I thought, Gentiles, reading John for the first time, I thought that the Spirit was God. But now Jesus says His words are Spirit and life, which means Spirit is coming out of Jesus. Okay. No explanation here from John as to what that means. Just Jesus saying, my words are Spirit and life. So we Greeks are allowed to just sit on that and think about that and continue forward wondering what exactly can that possibly mean. And so we go back up to Jerusalem, John chapter 7, and it's now the end of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. The water libation festival, this, this important festival, has just taken place. And at the end of that, John seven thirty seven, we see Jesus on the last day, the day of the great feast, He stood up and He cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And maybe if we're sharp, we read that and we go, wait a minute. Like the waters welling up from within that Jesus told the Samaritan woman about, right? And now he says, rivers of living water, they're going to come up from within. And finally, John, thank you, John, gives us an explanation in verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Oh, it's the Spirit he was talking about. Living water, water flowing, welling up from within the person. So put all of this together. We must be born of the Spirit if we want to see the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who baptizes, immerses with the Spirit. The Spirit is God, whom we must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus speaks with the breath of life and spirit and the way to receive the Holy Spirit, birth, baptism, and all comes by believing in Jesus. And that we have just developed quite a little theology of the Holy Spirit just by wandering through John's Gospel here. 
And we are just warming up. Now go back to John 14 and the message for today. (laughs) They say the attention span of a goldfish at maximum focus is nine seconds, which I think is a little long, but that's what they say. A goldfish can focus on something for nine seconds. But a recent Canadian study found that the attention span of device-addicted, tech-consuming humans has now come to about seven seconds. We have less attention than a goldfish. You see why I say we got to have the revelation of the Spirit here or we're in big trouble. Because nine seconds in, you guys will be going... Drifting off? We're going to need His Spirit just to finish this morning. Jesus looked around the troubled table on that puzzling Passover in that restless room and He said, remember what He said? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. And and He begins to... He begins to speak peace in such a way. It's just amazing. And I've said, I said this Wednesday night. I believe I said it last week. I'll say it again. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. If you sit anywhere in your study, you ought to be there. If you're struggling in life, if you are troubled in life, you need to sit down there and just go over and over and over Jesus' words. In this section, they are among the most profound ever spoken. And they bring great peace. And He's intentional with this as He's instructing the disciples one last teaching, one last evening together. For you see, from the rising of the sun to the eclipse that would happen the next afternoon, everything was about to change forever. Nothing would be the same again. They had to be made ready. And so what does Jesus do? He unveils five paraclete promises. We've already read them this morning. Five paraclete promises, and we're going to take them one at a time, and we won't get through them all today. John 14, 16, we come to the first paraclete promise. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Paraclete. Parakletos in the Greek. And some translations translate that comforter. Well, that's nice. Comforter. My wife is the queen of comforters. We have more comforters in my house than I know what to do with. Our house is a wash with down blankets and comforters lying on the couches, lying on the bed. If it were up to me, I'd probably have like a little hand towel and call it good. But Cheryl loves soft blankets. If we walk into Costco and they set those soft blankets up on the rack right when you first walk in, I'm done. I'm like, just put three in the cart. (laughs) Comforters. Listen, when I'm under siege, when life throws tough stuff my way, when I'm in the midst of trouble, the last thing I need is a spirit who's downy soft. (laughs) If I'm going to battle, I don't want to wrap up in a blankie. Rip. I've always thought of the Spirit as my comforter. I get that. And I don't mean to downplay the comfort with which the Lord comforts us. It is vital to our faith, to our lives. I just want to highlight that our comfort comes, listen, from a mighty God. 
And when you read the word comforter in your translation, if your Bible says that rather than helper, what we really ought to be reading there, parakletos, is strengthener, advocate. In fact, jo- in fact, jot down if you're writing, uh, paraclete promise number one is the promise of my strong advocate. Comforter, yes, he comforts me. But he is my strong advocate. That's where my comfort comes from. I have a spirit, the spirit of the Lord, who will go to bat for me, who will fight for me, who will stand before me. A mighty advocate, my strong advocate. Parakletos means that. Yes, it means comforter, helper. It means one who comes alongside. But it is advocate. And it really inclines toward those who would stand up for you. An advocate in court. Someone who's strong. Why does he say, I will pray to the Father, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you? Well, that's interesting right there. Jesus is now praying for you, for me. And God will give because Jesus is a prayer and God is a giver. And he says, he will give you another helper. Why another helper? Because Jesus was their advocate. Because in the three, three and a half years or so that they walked in ministry together, man, when trouble came up, Jesus took the heat. When problems were there, Jesus came to the forefront. When there was no food to feed anyone and people were starving, Jesus took care of it. When the storm was raging, Jesus calmed it. When the boys were confused, Jesus took them aside. He was their strong advocate. They had come to be so dependent upon Him. I think you could probably compare the three years with Jesus to the 40 years of the Israelites learning to to depend on God in the desert. They depended on Him for everything. That's why they're freaking out here on Thursday night with the possibility that He might be leaving them. (laughs) What? No, don't leave us, Lord. You're our strong advocate. You're our helper. You're the one who's always come alongside us. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you another. Another strong advocate. This descriptive word, parakletos, is only used five times in the Bible. I will point out as an aside that five is the number of grace. In the Bible. So by the grace of God, we we see this word speaking of the Holy Spirit five times. Four right here in John 14, 15, and 16. Every time you see helper, or if your Bible says comforter, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. But once more, that word is used outside of John's Gospel. Where is that? Still by John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a parakletos, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Wait, I thought the parakletos was the Holy Spirit. He is. And so is Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God, is, listen, also the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Same Spirit, same God, same Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, the intimacy of their relationship is, is stunning. And so John says, we have a parakletos in the heavens right now. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is my current advocate in the heavenly courtroom. You see, the adversary right now, Revelation 12.10 tells us, spends all of his time accusing us before God. It's what he does. Satan's there saying, did you see what he did? 
Do you hear what Jesus said? Oh, come on, Lord, you call these people your church? Look what's up here. And Jesus, all the while, my strong advocate in heaven is just saying, Father, don't pay any attention to him. Jackie is mine. She belongs to me. You know, Joe is mine. He belongs to me. Glenn, that one's mine. I've tagged him. You can just ignore the accuser. You know, after thousands of years of doing this, you'd think Satan would get the hint. You'd think he'd start to realize how pathetic his accusations are because we have a strong advocate in heaven. What about right here on earth? Well, we have a strong advocate here as well. Jesus intercedes in the heavenly places. Romans 8, 34. Hebrews 7, 25. But He doesn't leave His disciples without a strong advocacy here on earth. Verse 17. He says, The Spirit of truth, that He may be with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because, and I love this word, He abides with you and will be in you. The Spirit of truth takes up residency. Permanent residency. He will abide in you. He will be with you. Now you might say, again, Greeks, Gentiles, we're reading through this and we're trying to figure it all out and we hear, okay, He just called Him the Spirit of truth. But just before that, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, which is it? Is Jesus the truth or is the Spirit the Spirit of truth? You're getting it. We're catching on. And we'll see later further why He's called the Spirit of Truth. But just know for now, He is pure truth. The Spirit of Truth. Well, why is that important? Practically, go back and think about what Isaiah said describing the Spirit of the Lord. We read that earlier, Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord that would rest on Messiah as the dove came down and rested upon Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is described this way. Wisdom and understanding. Counsel and strength. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here are those again. Wisdom and understanding. Counsel and strength. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, just a, a quick survey here. I'd like to do a poll this morning. How many here prefer the opposite of those six things? That would be foolishness and ignorance, cluelessness and frailty, stupidity and arrogance. Which one would you rather sign up for? The Spirit of the Lord who rests upon Messiah brings wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Yeah, Rick, we heard that. I need you to hear it again. (laughs) So I'll say it again. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The other attributes that I listed come all too naturally. Foolishness, ignorance, cluelessness, frailty, stupidity, arrogance. Man, we come upon that just by being human. That stuff is not taught. It is just who we is. We so easily can flow in those areas. It is the natural man, the natural woman, but it doesn't have to be this way. What does the Bible say? James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Jesus said in Luke 11.13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those 
who ask Him. You want wisdom? Ask Him. You want His Spirit? Ask Him. The Advocate is a strong counselor, gang. And unless you happen this morning to have all wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, you might need Him. Isaiah 11.2, I, I have learned over the years to go back to that again and again. To pray for that again and again. When I'm feeling stupid, happens more than you might think. Or maybe you would think, I don't know. When I need wisdom, when I'm not sure which way to turn, when I don't know how to handle the, the challenges of my life, man, I need wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom and understanding here. You know, it's really funny. What we do is we tend to go to other human beings who tend to be foolish, ignorant, clueless, frail, stupid, and arrogant. Can you give me understanding? Can you give me wisdom? Can you? I'll tell you what. The best understanding and wisdom and counsel and strength and knowledge and fear of the Lord that I get from any other human being is from one who is born of the Spirit. From one who has been baptized with the Spirit. From one who speaks because the Spirit is speaking through them. That's where I can get some human counsel that is of value. But paying hundreds of dollars to go to a counselor who doesn't even believe in Jesus, I kind of wonder sometimes. Let me warn you, paying hundreds of dollars to go to a counselor who does believe in Jesus can also be dangerous. (laughs) But we struggle for these things. Buying the books, I want the wisdom. You know, we turn on the shows. I just need to hear and have someone speak. We come to church Sunday morning because maybe Pastor Rick will give us some. Hey, all I can give you is instruction. He gives you revelation. He gives you wisdom. He gives you strength. All of this part and parcel comes by the Spirit of the Lord. But listen, there's a spiritual divide here. A very serious one. In verse 17, he says, Whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it does not see Him or know Him. You know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Jesus is absolutely clear. The world doesn't get the Spirit of the Lord because the world doesn't get Jesus. Doesn't understand Jesus. Doesn't believe in Jesus. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to get His Spirit. You have to come to the Lord believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus before you are baptized with the Spirit. Before you're even born of the Spirit, you come with Jesus on your lips. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter cried out. And you can be born of the Spirit, but the world is not. Alexander McLaren presumed a tone of deep sadness in Jesus' words. I had never read it that way. I had only always read this as a tone of almost, well, maybe not defiance, but drawing a line. You know, whom the world cannot receive. Yeah! The world can't receive the Spirit. Because we got it. We have the Spirit. Yes, we do. We have the Spirit. You don't. (laughs) You know, I mean... (laughs) This line of division, I believe, is painful for Jesus. The world can't receive Him, He says. Not because of a lack of an offer on Jesus' part, but because of a lack of reception on the world's part. McLaren says the thought of the immense multitude of men who were incapacitated to receive this strengthener steals across and casts a momentary shadow even upon the brightness of His promise. Even as Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to all those who believe, He has to point out, a little shadow rises, He has to point out, 
and the world won't receive it. So the world will continue to walk in foolishness and arrogance and stupidity and frailty and cluelessness. Do you want to be there? I was talking to Spencer out in, in, in earlier this morning. Apparently the Pope has now said that uh, Mahmoud Abbas is the angel of peace. <laughs> Mahmoud Abbas, head of the Palestinian Authority, who has blood on his hands, the Pope, the infallible one, <laughs> has now declared he is the angel of peace. And the world lines up. And people read that stuff and go, oh, cool, give him a Nobel Prize. You don't have to do anything for that anyway. <laughs> you know? And I'm talking to Spencer about this, and, and, and he goes, Rick, I just don't understand why the world is so clueless. Because the world cannot receive the Spirit of the Lord. Do you realize we have everything that's going on right now in the Scriptures and have for 2,000 years? And people open up the paper in the morning or, you know, open up the iPad or turn on their computer and they're shocked by the news. Are we shocked? Not if we have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. There is a difference, Jesus says. And I do not understand why anyone would deny themselves this strong advocate, this this glorious counselor who is in us and with us constantly, why someone would reject the Holy Spirit. And I don't understand why believers do. I don't understand why believers would keep Him in the suitcase and set Him neatly and safely off to the side. Brothers and sisters, why would we limit or worse quench the promised paraclete, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus? who would abide within us. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every sort of evil. You see, because the Holy Spirit is not going to present in evil or darkness or confusion. That's not the Spirit of the Lord. But don't quench the Spirit. Romans 8.26 The Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know how to praise we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ephesians 6.18 With all prayer and petition, Paul writes, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Jude 20 verse and 21 Beloved, Building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and I maybe heard one sermon my entire life growing up that even dealt with the Holy Spirit. Why would we deny Him access to to our minds and our hearts when we could walk in this world with His knowledge His inspiration, His revelation. Verse 18, Jesus says, and there is sweetness in this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will never forget the look on Michael Adelot's face when we went to Beacon House Orphanage in Ghana. We received... Naomi 
and Anna Marie and David. And Michael was there. He wasn't Michael Adelot at the time. He was just Michael. And he was there in the orphanage. And as we were hopping into the 4x4 with our kids, our family gathered together, ready to head off, them coming home, not left as orphans, but coming home to a new life, I remember looking over and seeing Michael standing off to the side as one of the many kids left behind. And it broke my heart. And we came home and John and Lisa started talking about, you know, there's that Michael. We... We gotta bring him home. We gotta go get him. And I will never forget the look on Michael Adelot's face when they popped in at the Daily House on the day that they had landed and come home. And we ran down there, and there he was, and Anna Marie's there, and they knew each other, and Naomi, and, and you know, and all the other kids who had known Michael were all there, Lydia, and, and, and just the look, he was just so happy. He was looking around. Jesus said, I will not leave you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Note that. I will come to you. But you said you will give us another helper. Yeah, guess what? The another helper is me. Now he's coming back, but he also sends his spirit. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so this another helper, turns out, is the Spirit of Jesus Himself, who does not leave His disciples as orphans, but comes to them. They were without Him, listen, ten days. That's all they had to go. From the day of His ascension, they go back to Jerusalem, they're praying... They cast lots. Wasn't the smartest thing to do. My opinion. We'll get there when we get to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1. But they're there waiting. They don't know what else to do. And then ten days later, Jesus comes to them. Ten days later. I don't even know how long it was between when we left Ghana and when the Adelots went back to Ghana, but it wasn't long. It wasn't long at least before word came back to Beacon House that Michael's going to go home. He has a family there. It was only ten days. They had to go without Jesus, without the Spirit. So they sat there waiting, kind of clueless, not knowing what to do. Kind of like me when I'm not in the Spirit. What do we do with this? I don't know. And Jesus came and did not leave them as orphans. The deeply personal relationship of the Lord, the disciple, and Jesus, listen, increased dramatically upon his exit. When he left, it got better for the apostles. With him not being there, they were closer to him. In fact, he was nearer to them than he had ever been at any time on earth. It's as if Jesus said, boys, listen, I won't be with you around the campfire on those long nights in the Galilee. No, instead I'll be with Philip on the Gaza road, Peter on the Caesarea road, and picking up Saul on the Damascus road all at the same time. How marvelous. You want to know why sometimes... Have you ever had that thought... We've talked about this. That thought that you're the most uh, you're the most important one to God. You know that you're His favorite. You're alone in your car. You're talking with the Lord, and you know He's not paying attention to anyone else in the world but just you. 
truth is, I'm his favorite. (laughs) And you are too. And we would not have known that kind of intimacy with Jesus if he hadn't gone away. And poured out His Spirit upon us. So that now, I can be in prayer in my office. Les can be in prayer downstairs. Eva can be in prayer in her office. And every single one of us in fellowship could be in prayer in different places all over the world. And we all feel like He has our absolute, or we have His absolute attention. Like He is solely focused on us because He is. The Spirit of the Lord. And He is the personal strong advocate. Your strong advocate. My strong advocate. In these last days. For every believer, the Spirit of truth. How we goldfish doing? We tracking? One more thing. I'll give this to you and we'll be done this morning. Paraclete promise number two. A little faster. Down in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Paraclete promise number two, my sure rememberer. My sure rememberer. He's my strong advocate. He is also my sure rememberer. Several times in John's Gospel, we see the disciples completely missing the boat. Even when they're on the boat, they're missing the boat. Even when they're rowing, they're missing the boat. Jesus teaches them. He says something. He explains something. Jesus is up to something. And they completely miss it. John 2.22, when He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this. They believed the Scriptures and the Word that Jesus had spoken. But when He spoke them, they were like goldfish. John 12.16, These things, things His disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things to Him. Gang, the Holy Spirit remedied their lack of understanding. They began to remember things, intimate moments, things Jesus said, things Jesus taught, things Jesus explained from the Hebrew prophets and the law that they would not have known otherwise. But now they start to remember. And by the way, He's why we have the Gospels in the first place. Doug and I had this conversation. How did the Gospels come down to us? By the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but they're so specific. huh? Because He is the sure rememberer. And so for Matthew, for Mark, for Luke, for John, as they sat down to pen these Gospels, they had full remembrance of exactly what happened, exactly what was spoken, exactly in the moment that it happened, because the Spirit of the Lord was saying, Hey, John, write this. No, no, not that. Yeah, that. That's good. Write that down. Hey, you remember this? Write that down, John. Not those words, these words. I want you to, we need seven I am statements, John. Write these down as he's leading him through the process. My sure rememberer. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a great teacher. Jesus said he will teach you all things, but it's more than simply teacher. He is the rememberer. This is why I begin every study, every teaching, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us. Because I can't. And I know I can't. And if you gain anything from these studies, these teachings on Sundays, on Wednesdays, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work. He's teaching. I'm just sitting here, flapping my gums. He's teaching. And He will bring to remembrance. Personally, for you. 
1 Corinthians 12, or 2 verse 12, sorry. 2 verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual. In other words, making us spiritual. Helping us hear His spiritual words into our spirit. His spirit speaking with, dealing with, talking to. My spirit. Bringing remembrance. Listen, that is not mumbo-jumbo stuff. That's not... It's reality in the Lord. It is how we know what we know by revelation. It's how faith increases. I'm a teaching pastor... But I'm not seminary trained. I didn't get this stuff in books. I'm spirit taught. And it's not, again, just instruction. It's inspiration. It's not just education. It's revelation. And He promises this for all of us. He's more than a teacher. He's my sure rememberer. You know what that's like? That's like a court stenographer. He's my strong advocate. He's also the court stenographer. He's the one keeping track, collecting everything said and done for immediate recall. So that when the judge says, hey, can you repeat what was said here? Boom, he repeats it into my mind, I understand it, and off I go. He's the court stenographer. Bringing up lessons learned and and prayers prayed and struggles overcome. And specifically, specifically, everything Jesus taught and said... He will bring to your remembrance. Well, then how come I don't remember everything Jesus taught and said? We talked about this two weeks back on a Wednesday night. If you were there, you would know. (laughs) Guilt trip. Here's the thing. The way to tap into the spiritual stenography, that which the Holy Spirit would bring to your remembrance, is to (laughs) have it in there to remember. Look at verse 22, real quickly. Verse 22 says, Judas said to him, not Iscariot, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Do you want the Holy Spirit to bring all these things to your remembrance? Love Jesus and keep his word. And the the word keep there in the Greek is literally keep keeping. It's an ongoing process. Be in the process of keeping His Word. The more you are in the Word, the more the Spirit's going to bring it to your remembrance. Guaranteed. And not because you have been studying it. I did this several years ago, probably, wow, 20 years ago? I took a speed reading course. Because I was so tired of Bible study taking me so much time. So that was speed reading. So I can just go, got it. And I took my little speed reading tapes and books and I went upstairs in the church library where I was working at the time and I sat down and for two straight days I did the speed reading course. And at the end of two days, my speed reading was vastly improved. I was reading like five words more a minute than I was when I started. Got my money back for the course. Stupid. And it took me so long. I wish I had realized it right then. It took me a long time to finally remember. (laughs) Spirit's my teacher. He's the one who brings to remembrance. I just need to pour in the words. 
I just need to keep the word open, to, to stay in the word, to keep keeping the word. And understand, as I said a couple of weeks back, you may be in the midst of Bible study right now and not fully understand it. You will. It may not right now have immediate application in your life. It will. It may not seem relevant to what's going on in your world. It will. Keep at it. Keep in it. Stay in the Word over and over. Love Jesus. Keep His Word. And the Spirit will bring to your remembrance all of these things that the Spirit is teaching you that Jesus said. Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Keep His word. There are five paraclete promises we've looked at two. We're going to have to save the rest. But I want to leave you with one word of Jesus that immediately follows the second paraclete promise. And that word is peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus just said, Shalom I leave with you. Shalom I give to you. Jesus said, Shalom, Shalom. And we need to understand that the context of the peace that Jesus offers is in the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the paraclete is the context in which Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. (coughs) And I remember Isaiah 26.3, the steadfast of mind you will keep in shalom, shalom. You will keep in perfect peace or literally peace, peace because He trusts in you. The steadfast of mind doesn't keep himself in perfect peace, but he knows the one who is peace. And so Jesus says, I want want to give you another helper, a strong advocate, a sure rememberer. And as I give him to you, as I come to you, as I leave you, not as orphans, but come to you, you will have my peace, my peace that I leave with you. So why do Jesus people freak out? Why do Jesus people stress? Why do Jesus people ever worry if we are supposed to have this peace? Peace. I think it's because we miss the second portion of peace. The second portion of peace. There's a double portion. Isaiah 26.3, Shalom, Shalom. There's a Shalom, Shalom. Not just Shalom, but Shalom, Shalom. Two portions. And so many come to the first portion. Jesus, by His Spirit, comes and abides with me. So I have peace. But then I still start to freak out. I forgot the second portion. That Jesus, by His Spirit, will come upon you. Peace, peace. The second portion of peace. What are you talking about? I am talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The immersion of the Spirit of the Lord. John uses three different Greek. The Bible uses three different Greek prepositions to describe the relationship between God's people and the Holy Spirit. Para, parakletos, which means alongside. And the paraclete would come alongside anybody. You don't even have to be a believer. He'll come alongside you. We'll find that out later on in John 16. 
He comes alongside, hurrah, but it doesn't get interesting until the next two, and that is in, E-N in the Greek, but it's I-N in our language. It just means comes in you, abides with you, and then finally epi, which means upon. It means overflowing. It means baptism. The Spirit comes alongside those who are seeking the Lord, alongside those who are looking for the Lord, guiding and directing, not in, not on, but alongside. And then suddenly, things start to get exciting because I receive the Lord, I believe in Jesus, the Spirit comes in me, sets up His home, abides in me, dwells within me, and and, and I have shalom. But Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I'm going to leave peace with you. I'm going to give peace to you. The second portion, the epi, the upon, the abiding is good. The overflowing is even better. I need both. I need to be filled with His Spirit and I need to be soaked with His Spirit. Remember Noah's dove? Genesis chapter 8 verse 9. The dove came back and the Bible tells us, and I think it's a beautiful word picture, that Noah took out his hand, put out his hand, and he took her and brought her into the ark to himself. He brought her in. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, do you take him in? Is there room for him to land in your heart, to abide in your life? Would you welcome him to do so through faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, and if you have... Don't deny yourself the second piece, the second portion. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. He is my strong advocate. He is my sure rememberer. He is so much more. But we'll come back to those another time. Rachel, come on up. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, You are the double portion of peace in a troubled world. And I am so thankful that You have promised Your Spirit to us. Thankful, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit abides within me. And I know You do. Like a goldfish, I get distracted sometimes. But I know You are with me. And that brings me a tremendous peace. But Lord Jesus, it is only in those times when I cry out to You and I have the the overwhelming sense of Your outpouring, of Your Spirit coming upon me, that I come into that place of second peace. The shalom, shalom. I pray that for this fellowship. I pray for each and every one of us that we would first be born of the Spirit coming into a new and spiritual life, (coughs) kingdom living even now. And I pray, Father, that we would not fear to be soaked in Your Spirit, baptized in Your Spirit, immersed in Your Spirit, Your Spirit upon us. And as we walk in this world with shalom, shalom, may we be pictures of peace for all those around us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. If you desire that peace, if you are struggling in your life right now, come forward while we sing this song. Prayer team, come on up right now. If you just need the peace that He promises, please come forward.
and we'll pray with you and talk about those things. Let's sing.